Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Bridge Bank. Be safe. Venture wisely. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, Silicon Valley rolls out contact tracing and the end of Memorial Day weekend traffic. But first, an economic cold war. So this week, both Congress and the NASDAQ made it harder for Chinese companies to list their stocks in the U.S. due to growing concerns over accounting practices and shareholder rights. Now, the big picture here is that this is part of broader economic tensions between the two countries over trade and homeland security and more recently the coronavirus. But it's also quite specific to what information Chinese companies do and often don't share with U.S. regulators. For example, take the case of Luckin Coffee. It's kind of become the poster child for this. Luckin is kind of China's homegrown version of Starbucks and went public on the Nasdaq last year at a whopping $3 billion valuation. It later traded up to $13 billion. But then early this year, a hedge fund publicly accused Luckin of cooking the books and the company eventually copped to it, firing both its CEO and COO. But what it didn't do was provide NASDAQ with the information NASDAQ wanted. So this week, NASDAQ sent a so-called delisting notice, which means its stock would no longer be able to trade here. But that wasn't it. NASDAQ also amended its overall rules, requiring greater transparency into accounting practices before letting any company list, regardless of location, and also putting new limits on insider control. Then yesterday, the U.S. Senate got into the act, passing a bipartisan bill that would require Chinese companies, Chinese companies specifically, to establish that they are not owned or controlled by their government. Here's Louisiana Senator John Kennedy speaking ahead of the vote, which passed by unanimous consent. And I do not want to get into a new Cold War. All I want, and I think all all the rest of us want, is for China to play by the rules. The bottom line, it is going to be harder for Chinese companies to list their stock in America, and some that currently do might soon lose that right. In 20 seconds, we will go deeper with Alexander Stevenson of the New York Times. But first, this. BridgeBank knows the ins and outs of business ups and downs and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to sponsor-backed emerging technology and growth companies for nearly two decades through its national network of banking teams and offices in tech hubs across the country, including San Francisco, Seattle, Denver, Chicago, and Boston. Visit BridgeBank.com to learn more. BridgeBank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be safe, venture wisely. We're joined now by Alexander Stevenson, a Hong Kong-based business correspondent with the New York Times. So, Alexander, let's start here. Can you just walk us through a little bit of the Luckin Coffee saga? Is it simply a COO who decided to cook the books to make the numbers look better for Wall Street? Good question, and one that I can't answer. (laughs) A little bit about the company and the background. They had this sort of audacious goal a year ago that they told Wall Street about. They sold it successfully, that they were going to take on Starbucks in China. At the time, they were unprofitable and burning through cash, barely two years old. But a lot of big Wall Street investors were interested and bought the pitch. And up until January of this year, I mean, the company was valued at $12 billion. And then in April, things kind of imploded when the company disclosed that they had this accounting fraud, that a good part of their revenues from last year were made up. There seems to be a prevailing consensus here in the U.S. and financial markets in the U.S. that the accounting practices of many, many Chinese companies aren't up at least to U.S. standards and that what we saw at Luckin, it is easier for that to happen at, say, Luckin than it would have been at Starbucks because of the accounting. Is that a fair charge from your perspective? I think the issue is really transparency. 
And that's where all these concerns stem from. Chinese companies hide behind regulators. And whenever there's a request from the Securities and Exchange Commission in the U.S. or from accounting officials, when there's a request for information for documents from a company, often the response from regulators in China is that's national security. And no, we're not going to give you access to those documents. And so it creates the sense that there's something to hide. The U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission did a report last year where they looked at, I think it was 156 companies that are listed, Chinese companies are listed in the US with like a collective market value of more than a trillion dollars. And the report and the commission found that a significant number of these companies had actually denied access of information requested by the accounting oversight board in the US. Are there any teeth in that? We'll get into what Congress has just done, but historically, okay, so the SEC asked for this information. The company says no because of, you know, national security concerns. Does anything happen after after that, or is that just, does the SEC just throw up its hands and say, oh, okay. The SEC throws up its hands and says, oh, okay. And we heard earlier this year from Jay Clayton, basically chairman of the SEC say, this is an issue and there's not much we can do. And for years, the SEC previous chairs have complained about this issue. It becomes a diplomatic one. And at the end of the day, there's very little that American regulators can do when all the paperwork and everything is in another country and they can't physically access that. So now you are seeing some tightening. You have the NASDAQ amending its rules to basically target Chinese companies without explicitly saying they are targeting Chinese companies. And then you have the Senate pass this bill yesterday. Big picture, why do Chinese companies care about listing on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ when they can list in Shanghai or list in Hong Kong? Why does it even matter to them? That's a good question. In fact, over the past year, Hong Kong has loosened some of its tighter restrictions on listings on its exchange. And China is pushing for more Chinese companies that are listed in the U.S. to have a second listing in Hong Kong. So we may actually see more of a move towards companies that have already listed in the U.S. doing a second listing in Hong Kong. But generally, the most money is on Wall Street. And so at the end of the day, most companies in China still want to be able to tap and access that deep pool of capital, which Shanghai, you're not going to have quite. And uh, Hong Kong, you know, it remains to be seen, I guess, in the future. But really, the goal for a lot of companies is still NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange. This issue, and, and again, Congress and NASDAQ, is this all kind of a bespoke issue, which is from your perspective, obviously, it's specifically tied to accounting and state control. But is it in part a part of this kind of larger kind of U.S.-China tensions, which we have seen in terms of national security, which we have seen in terms of trade, we're certainly seeing in terms of coronavirus. In other words, is this kind of isolationism, but on the Wall Street side of things? I would say this is decoupling, but on the Wall Street side, right? You've seen China hawks in Washington for some time now arguing that there are issues with the relationship between the U.S. and China. And this is just an extension of that. And that group is trying to cut off American capital, cut off Chinese companies from American capital. And so this is just kind of part of that decoupling, you know, moves towards decoupling that we're seeing, but it's in the capital markets. You know, we saw earlier this year discussion about whether pension funds should be invested at all in Chinese companies, given these issues of transparency. And I think we're only going to see more of this as we get closer to the November election. Alexander, final quick question for you. Have you ever been into a Luckin coffee or gotten coffee from Luckin? Yes, I have. Better cup of coffee, Luckin or Star? Starbucks. <laughs> Starbucks, but that's not saying very much. I'll just say that Luckin's coffee is pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs>
Alexander Stevenson, New York Times, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Take care. My final two right after this. With offices and tech hubs throughout the country, including San Francisco, Denver, Chicago, and Boston, BridgeBank supports the innovation ecosystem wherever it thrives and helps breakthrough ideas actually break through. And through its teams focused on technology and life sciences companies and the equity investors who fuel them, BridgeBank delivers a responsive, high-touch client experience. BridgeBank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be safe, venture wisely. Now it's time for my final two. And first up are Apple and Google, which yesterday began rolling out the initial versions of their coronavirus contact tracing technologies. Three things to know. First, this is opt-in. If you don't want to participate, you don't have to, which is a nod to civil liberties while also self-defeating from a public health perspective. Two, it's being rolled out in multiple U.S. states, including North Dakota and Alabama, and in 22 countries. And three, it basically works by keeping track of who you've been around. If you or I were standing next to each other, there would be little pings, and the phone would basically keep track of that. And then if one of us tests positive later for coronavirus, we would be notified that we have been in contact with someone who had COVID, although we wouldn't be told the specific person. The bottom line here, contact tracing is needed for us to return to life as normal, or even to the new normal. So this is a step in the right direction. And finally, we are coming up on Memorial Day weekend, and for the first time in memory, AAA does not plan to release data about the number of people taking planes, trains, or automobiles. Last year was actually the second busiest Memorial Day weekend in history, with a record 43 million Americans hitting the road. But AAA expects that the quarantines and lockdowns will bring this weekend's number well short of the 31 million people who traveled in 2009 at the height of the Great Recession. So put away your keys and fire up that grill alone. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national Strawberries and Cream Day. And we'll be back on Tuesday with another Pro Rata Podcast.